Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLocal and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we will be doing a couple of things. We'll take a look at some contract extensions for a number of pending free agents. We'll also do a little bit more of our top-end goalscorer reviews. And then closing us out, we will take a look at some of my favorite albums from 2020, especially as we enter the fall and winter seasons. Some of these are worth just popping into your CD player for a nice little session, especially when you're on the road. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Bilt Bar. Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Kicking us off in the free agency deals, let's take a look at the Toronto Maple Leafs who have made a number of recent moves including resigning Michael Hutchinson to a two-year $1.45 million contract. Toronto doesn't really have great goaltending depth and I feel like Hutchinson is probably one of those deals that is designed to maybe find a little bit more help, especially since he was serviceable as a backup with the Colorado Avalanche. I I don't think that Hutchinson is likely to play too many games and I feel like Toronto is probably not going to want to have him doing that because, unfortunately, he's just not that great of a goaltender. I feel like when he's played for Toronto, it's usually been pretty rough. Now, I will say that Toronto's defensive style tends to lead to a lot of chances, some of which can be a little bit on the higher danger side. Over the years, they have tried to tighten that up, but of course, they like a very fast countering system, so I don't 100% know if that's going to be a great fit for Hutchinson. I feel like he needs to have shots come from very specific directions that don't require as much really high-end reflexive movement. All of this said, he did actually do pretty well on a Colorado squad that actually surrenders quite a few more chances, especially high-danger opportunities, so maybe Hutchinson has a little bit left in the tank to at least be like a a 15-20 to or even 30-game guy. Either way, Jets fans will always remember him fondly for that 2014-15 season, even if the subsequent years were not quite as kind to him. Toronto also made another signing in bringing in Joseph Anderson for three years at $2.25 million. And Joey Anderson was the guy that they traded for Andreas Janssen a couple of weeks ago. So obviously this contract is just sort of getting Anderson into the organization and ready to go for whatever his future with his team is. I tend to think that Anderson's ceiling is probably like you know, a pretty decent third line wing. I'm not sure that he's going to be more than that. I think he'll probably play a similar role to Andreas Janssen. I'm not sure. I think Janssen for me was a slightly better scorer, but we'll see if Anderson has something in the tank. His new contract is very similar to an ELC that he signed when he was first with the Devils, although this one is a little bit cheaper. It's only got up around 750000 per season, so as far as really cheap depth signings go, this is great. I think that for what they wanted to do, which was cut salary with Janssen, This is basically the ideal move for this team. I think he's also like a year or two younger than Andreas, so again, maybe things work out. Maybe Anderson plays the right style of game and gives Toronto a little bit more of a depth boost. Speaking of depth signings, we now pan over to the Dallas Stars who have brought Julius Honka back in for a, I believe, a one-year minor league deal. Honka is one of those defenders who for some reason has just never been able to stick inside an NHL lineup for any long sustained period of time. A couple of seasons ago, when he first arrived in Dallas, I think a lot of people had very high expectations for him, but for one reason or another, Julius just could never stick, and I feel like it's been a shame because Julius has the exact kind of skill sets that a team like the Jets would absolutely love. He's very good as a puck-moving, offensively-minded D, even though his defensive work is sometimes a little bit suspect. With this new two-way deal, maybe this is when he finally gets to kind of hang around and find a place in this lineup. 
he has struggled to get something where he has regular consistent deployments but maybe finally this is the time for him to get back into the Dallas Stars fold and get things going again I'm kind of hoping he does because I feel like Julius has a lot to offer and maybe this is the time for him to show it he's still only 24 which is not exactly super old obviously he's basically in his prime now so he should have plenty of productive years if Dallas can finally get him to to stay in the lineup and consistently do the things that make defenders really popular in the league you know, maybe he has to adapt his game a little bit, but I still think he can do what he wants to do if Dallas kind of lets him cut loose a little bit like they do with Miro Heiskanen. Around the league, we have a few other contract extensions and signings to announce. With the Ottawa Senators a couple of days ago, they picked up Alex Galchenyuk for one year at $1.05 million. Galchenyuk is one of those players who I think people thought was going to be a decent middle six center and just hasn't ever been that. He'll occupy a roster spot for this Ottawa Sens team and eat up cap salary, but beyond that, I can't really imagine him being more than just a, a placeholder guy teams have like traded him around and tried to flip him at the deadline and it's usually not amounting to much because again he's just not really much of a player to talk about his last few stints have ended pretty poorly and i feel like galchenyuk at this point is probably at best a fourth liner if that maybe he's able to revitalize his career somehow with a sense but obviously i wouldn't be banking on that much he just really hasn't seemed to be able to create much at all outside of the uh, Montreal system. But hey, Ottawa needed contracts and money on the books. He is a contract and a little bit of money on the books, so I guess it's kind of a win-win for them, not really sure. Buffalo also made a contract extension of their own. They signed Victor Olafson for two years at $6.1 million, which seems alright. He uh, he had a pretty prolific season as a maybe an older rookie, I would say, not, not a super young guy. But Olafson seems okay at putting the puck in the back of the net. The rest of his game is sort of mediocre. I don't think that he's a particularly strong play driver from what I recall. And this contract seems like a good show-me kind of deal to see if he really is somebody that they need to invest in long-term or if the recent success is more of a short-term thing. Maybe the savviest signing of all, though, is Dominic Cahoon for one year at 975000 with the Edmonton Oilers. This is an extremely bargain value deal and one that I think, you know, Edmonton is going to love for a long time. It's a free agent deal. He comes in and fills an immediate top six spot, most likely. I'd imagine that he gets a top six wing position because, to be honest, Edmonton just doesn't have all that many wings to speak of. So, you know, Cahoon is a great player. I think he'll fit in right alongside one of Dreisaitl or McDavid. Smart, smart signing. This morning, we also had announced that Anthony Manta has resigned for four years at $5.7 million per year. Detroit got an amazing top six wing locked up for four years at a really reasonable price at definitely under what his actual value is. Manta is a skilled goal-scoring power forward who easily slides into almost any top six in the league, and Detroit should be extremely proud of pulling this contract off. I think he should have been paid closer to 6 or $7 million. He's a great player, one that I would have loved Winnipeg to have gotten a couple of seasons ago, but obviously, you know, the, the Red Wings seem to really like Manta. I think that's the right decision to keep him around. He continues to be one of their most important young players, and I think Detroit will absolutely fall in love with this contract over the next couple of seasons. He'll be a somewhat veteran force to bring in some of the young, young kids that are going to be moving into these top six roles as time goes on. That's going to do it for our recent contract and free agency signings. Up next, we'll take a look at some of the NHL's top goal scorers around the world. But before then, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about today's title sponsors at Built Bar. If you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you know that I am a big fan of Built Bars. They're the perfect alternative to your dry and boring protein bar with a nice dark chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. If you want to sample one of their 12 original flavors, I highly recommend raspberry or mint brownie. If all their flavors, including double chocolate, salted caramel, 
banana bread, and more sound really tasty though, then be sure to check out their variety box so you get the best of both worlds. Like any great company though, Built Bar knows that it can't just rest on its laurels and it's back in better than ever with a brand new formula. They're packing in six new flavors including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Like the original slate of 12 flavors, Built Bars are perfect for you, clocking in at 200 calories or less, around 5 grams of net carbs, and between 15 to 19 grams of protein. They're low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, so they're great for keto diets as well as weight loss or weight maintenance programs. Getting started with Built Bar is super easy. Just head on over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. On this episode, we have covered some of the NHL free agency and contract extensions, and now we are talking about some of the league's top goal scorers. We've covered quite a few of them already, but now we're going to take a look at some of the more intriguing snipers and what makes them a little bit special over some of the other players out there. One of the more talked about players for a variety of reasons is Nikita Kucherov, and Kucherov is a very special marksman in that I think the way that he plays the game is not like too many players out there. Kucherov is certainly not a player who's like super slow or anything but he's not exactly the fastest player out there he's not like a Nick Ehlers or a Connor McDavid his edge work is good because it gets him into positions but I think a lot of his pre-shot positioning and movement defines how he scores a lot of his goals he has an elite release a very powerful release at that quite a bit of good stick handling and next level pre-shot positioning He understands where he needs to be at all times, and it allows him to work those really soft spots in between defensive arrangements where he can find the best, most opportune time to score goals. Because he's surrounded by so many good players who can feed him, it allows him to focus a little bit less on playmaking and more of just being a really elite sniper. By the same token, because he's playing with those elite teammates, he's also found a lot of points from assists as well because he he actually has quite a few players to work with and feed on a regular basis. The trick for Kucherov is knowing which is the best option, whether it's him taking the shot or one of his teammates taking the shot instead. He's a guy who likes to play with very high percentages when it comes to finding the most opportune time for a goal opportunity. And at that, Kucherov is a next-level scorer. He's also surprisingly not afraid to get engaged physically. I mean, he'll definitely throw a few dirty hits here and there, but he's also someone who likes to grind along the forecheck. But then he'll smartly disengage and find those soft opportunities where everyone else is still engaged in the forecheck and trying to turn the puck over. Having that next-level understanding of when to take the opportunity and when to sit back makes Kucherov one of the most elite goal scorers in the entire league. I mentioned that Kucherov didn't quite have the mobility of this next player, and that is, of course, Connor McDavid. And McDavid just makes goal scoring look very easy. When it comes to effortlessly getting up the ice, I I think no one else quite has the edge work that McDavid does. He has these very powerful, very smooth strides that allow him to get up and down the ice at a rapid pace, and he knows when to use it effectively. Knowing when to take that extra step or when to try and freeze and deke out a defender is really what makes McDavid a next-level threat. He understands plays two to three steps ahead of everyone else, and times his jumping at just the right opportunity to take advantage of small gaps in defensive coverages. He has a franchise-level brain, a pretty great release, very good stick handling, amazing edge work. He truly is one of the most complete offensive threats in the league, and that makes him such a dangerous threat, whether it's at even strength or on the power play. His vision and distribution also allow him to set up his teammates for easy tap-ins, just as he's not afraid to take a really dangerous shot himself. While he does trade quite a bit of defensive stability in exchange for a lot of offensive opportunities, I feel like you take that bet all day with McDavid. When he's at his best, he's an offensive nightmare to try and contain, and frankly, no one can really shut him down. Even when you mark him for a couple of shifts, eventually he'll find a way to beat you and burn you for a really beautiful goal. His ability to go from end-to-end very quickly, 0-60 in almost no time flat, just makes him such a delightful player to watch. 
He is artful in his scoring. He's got incredible deception and hand-eye coordination, and it allows him to pull off some of the craziest goals you'll ever see. He also has unbelievable upper body strength, in some ways not unlike Sidney Crosby, which allows him to elevate the puck in strange angles that a lot of other players really can't pull off. McDavid, again, really is a complete offensive threat, and he truly is one of the most outstanding centers the league has ever seen. In the following draft, we then had Austin Matthews, and I think Matthews presents a very different kind of attacking style than what McDavid has. In Matthews' draft year, he was already a fully developed, full-grown player, and it was clear that he is very much best when he's in the offensive zone. When he's around the net, he's an absolute buzzsaw of shooting, franchise finishing talent, and excellent spatial awareness. He has that extra level of hockey IQ that allows him to slide in between those defensive coverages, sort of drift into those dangerous scoring areas, and the release to capitalize on all of those opportunities with very few misses. Like McDavid, he's definitely not a defensive specialist, but when you're capable of just creating so much pure offense in front of the net, I really don't think anyone can complain. He's capable of hitting slap shots, he's got an incredible wrister, he's got pretty powerful edge work that allows him to get up the ice very quickly, and he's very good at understanding how to use his linemates to really hone his own goal-scoring abilities. He is an elite-level poacher and the kind of player that you would almost give just about anything for. He is a total offensive package, whether it's shooting, passing, getting into those really great positions to draw defenders' attention. I mean, Matthews is just a dangerous, dangerous forward no matter where he is in the offensive zone. And like McDavid, you almost can't shut him down. If he wants to score, he'll score. That'll do it for our top goal scorers coverage. We'll probably pick it up later this week, but for now, I did want to talk a little bit more about some of the top albums of 2020, coming up in just a moment. Welcome back to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast. We have talked contract extensions, some of the top goal scorers in the NHL, and now we're transitioning to a little bit of off-topic fun and thinking about some of this year's best albums. I like a lot of metal, a little bit of pop punk, some metal core, so you'll see a little bit more of these albums, but be sure to let me know at HLLivingLoco or the podcast handle at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter what you think this year's top albums are. Kicking us off, we're going to take a look at a hometown band that I actually very much enjoy, and that is Sharptooth. They are definitely a little bit more on the punky side of metal, tackling very common themes in the social justice community, but with a very intensive personal lens that I think makes Sharptooth an extremely unique band. Their lyricism, emotional, and gut-punching riffs really hit home on this year's album Transitional Forms. If you need something that absolutely tears you apart at the seams, Transitional Forms is it. It's a loud, reverberating middle finger to 2020, and I feel like Sharptooth have absolutely hit this one out of the park. It's ferocious, intense, and feels like all of the energy that has been pent up inside of us during quarantine has basically just exploded across the 29 or so minutes of this album. On a very different side of the coin that's more pop-punk than anything, and certainly a surprise album that I did not anticipate enjoying, was actually Machine Gun Kelly's Tickets to My Downfall. I've never really liked Machine Gun Kelly, his music just isn't for me, and certainly I'm not the target audience, but partnering with Travis Barker to kind of bring this Blink-182 style to his repertoire really seems to be a much more natural transition than his old rap albums. I wouldn't call Tickets to My Downfall particularly great, it just feels like a little bit more of a fun, kind of punky, pop-punk album that 2020 definitely could use a little bit more of. It's got an infectious energy, really catchy hooks, and uh, just a real sense of earnestness, even if the lyricism isn't exactly next level. In terms of pop-punk that I definitely thought had matured and done very well in maintaining some of the original sound, but updating it for 2020 is concerned I'd have to go with Neck Deep's All Distortions Are Intentional. Neck Deep hasn't had a proper album in several years, so it was really cool to see them coming back with a really great album that I felt 
just did a really nice job of updating their sound that is is definitely poppy and punky but still surprisingly melancholic this is an album that is more emo in some ways than some of their previous works but still has all of the upbeat up-tempo musicianship that you would kind of associate with more pop punk albums on the emo side of things no good left to give from movements is a fantastic album i feel like as far as perfect fall records are concerned no Good Left to Give feels exactly an epitome of what 2020 feels like in in its quiet, understated sadness and melancholy that seems to live throughout this entire record. It kind of drifts between a little bit of grief, a little bit of nostalgia, anxiety, a bit of angst. I mean, this is just a really varied album that can feel a bit like a sunny, warm drive on one song and a very cold, rainy day the next. I've always been a fan of movements, but here it just feels like their sound has matured to the point where I, I definitely have enjoyed this one more than some of their previous works although maybe it's just because 2020 has felt like a bit of a downer and this record sort of reflects that if you want like a fusion of emo and pop punk then i feel like knuckle pucks 2020 as a great album uh, you know obviously it's got a funny name because it sort of sounds like a hockey related band but knuckle puck is definitely interested in sort of punching you with a little bit more upbeat energy with the same melancholy that you'd associate with someone like movements it strikes a very good balance of being a little bit like a diary confessional with some of the sunniness that you'd associate with more you know summertime pop punk bands it feels a little bit like an updated take on some of the old transit albums moving back to metal i do have to say that the Phanerozoic from The Ocean, especially the second side, which is Mesozoic and Cenozoic, remains one of The Ocean's best albums to date. Phanerozoic is, is actually a two-album set, but the second album came out this year, and if you haven't heard the first one, be sure to check it out. It deals with the Paleozoic era, which is kind of like how a lot of these albums are themed. They go throughout different prehistoric eras in history, and so each album is sort of themed around this time with a different sound signature and a lot of song names that deal with either animals or or periods of this, you know, prehistoric era. They tie these themes into sort of songs about life, death, maybe a tiny bit of existentialism, and really hard-hitting riffs. I mean, this is just an album that can absolutely slam you no matter what side of it you're listening to, but they also have very soft, smooth vocals to complement it. One of my favorite albums from The Ocean is definitely Pelagial. I feel like if you want to sort of take a dive into The Ocean's layers, this is the album to do it. They're definitely a band on the brainier side of prog metal, and I feel like if you have a hankering for something that's a little bit off the beaten path and kind of want to give this a try, then Phanerozoic is definitely a great place to start. The last album I'll mention is A Celebration of Endings from Biffy Clyro. I've always loved Biffy Clyro. I feel like as far as the uh, the folks across the pond are concerned, this is some of the best rock out there. It's heartfelt, well-written, well-composed, and very relatable dealing with themes of love, loss, and the malaise of common life that I feel like pretty much anyone can relate to. Biffy Clyro has definitely aged along with the rest of us, and I feel like this album generally reflects those feelings of what comes with experience and memory. It's a great start for a new era of Biffy and I, I think you'll really enjoy it if you're a longtime fan of the band or somebody who's brand new to them. With that, that's going to conclude some of my top albums of 2020. If you have any picks, be sure to let me know at HLivingLoco or at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Thanks so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampado. Thanks again, have a great night, and go Jets go!